Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's bonus episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Layla Latif. I'm Sophie Monks-Kaufman. And I'm Hafa Sellers-Ross. On the show this week, we'll be reporting live from the Venice Film Festival, where we've been watching some of the most highly anticipated films of the year. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So, Hafa and Sophie, I actually met you both for the first time at last year's Venice Film Festival. Uh, what was it that made you return this year? It, it's a very beautiful location. As a poorly paid film journalist, I try to go to film festivals that can also have a little bit of natural beauty and pleasant holidays sn- snuck in beneath the seams. Wow, you said the quiet part out loud. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I think to me it was a combination of the people that I met last year because we had a terrible incredible time terrible time (laughs) a a terrible incredible time and then also i'm not gonna lie it's because of the embargo policy the fact that we have quite a few hours to turn around reviews suits my heart it's not the same thing as can when everyone just has to run to the press room and be tense and nervous he was just chilled. Yeah, I've been writing most of my reviews from the Campari bar, which has been quite pleasant. But I've never been to Cannes. Is that like the way it goes there? It's just like a mad scramble to who can get everything out fastest? Yeah. So the difference is that here we have press screenings before the public screening, sometimes even 24 hours before a public screening, which means that we have some time to sit down and write a review up. In Cannes, they put us in parallel rooms so the press screening and the public screening is happening most of the time at the same time. So once you're out of that room, the door is open in your face. It's a free-for-all. <laughs> and you just, like, run for it because embargo is up the moment the credits roll. My God. Um, <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, like, all of the people that have been following it on the Little White Lies podcast, uh, sorry, on the Little White Lies website, um, appreciate that we've all been able to take a little bit more time when writing our reviews. But we've got an incredibly stacked lineup to get through. Uh, so let's get started. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to the Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of our plans. Now on to the movies. (laughs) 
So Sophie, I'm going to come to you first with probably one of the highest profile um, and I think likely more controversial films of the festival. We saw Blonde this morning. Um, and what did you think? Where do you land on the Blonde Wars that will be starting when the embargo ups in about 45 minutes? Well, I'm at the front line with my spear pointed at Andrew Dominic's heart. <laughs> <laughs> I really love his film The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford and was very excited to see what he would do with the life of another icon, Marilyn Monroe and this is, there's a lot to say about this film which is a gift when the very first thing you have to do when you come out is write about it so I appreciate it on that level <laughs> uh, on the level of what he's done with a figure who's already the face that sells and a million t-shirts that is basically marketing propaganda at this point I'm, I'm much less impressed on that I feel like there's a lot of effort that's been gone into creating a very beautiful film into creating quite an uncanny doppelganger effect in Anna Diarmas, who is brilliant um, but the character is empty the characterization is incredibly superficial um, she's a victim he's made a film about a victim and while you can look at the facts of Marilyn Monroe's life and there's and, and support that thesis. I think it's a great disservice to someone who actually was a formidable screen presence that this is the only thing he has to say about her. Uh, yeah, I don't think um, Andrew Dominic's going to get any prizes for being a feminist icon after this. I actually felt a lot more warmly about the film. Uh, Hafa, what about you? How did you feel about this vision of Marilyn Monroe? I think, although I agree with what Sophie's saying, I chose to take this as an active choice by Dominic to completely detach the idea of a biopic that speaks about the woman and then create something that is a reflection of the culture that we have around celebrity. Look at the person that you guys created. Look at the person that um, got preserved by this hunger, this desire to, to tear apart someone that we think we know and we don't. So in this level, it worked for me. Um, I don't think Anna de Armas is nearly as good, which is funny. I think to me that was a point of distraction. But there are some moments in the film that I um, that I just thought felt like a mirror pointed at you, where you're just trying to recognize yourself and your behavior towards this culture of entertainment as an accepted form of voyeurism which I quite liked it. But then I think he's trying to have his cake and image and eat it because he's... <laughs> Okay, I think, yeah, that is certainly what he's trying to do and certainly what he'll say he's trying to do. Um, but he's using all the iconography that makes Marilyn Monroe so appealing in order to do it. So in a way, he's cannibalizing her yet again in service of his art. And that's the thing I find reprehensible about the film. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I It's one of those films that I came out of kind of feeling net positive about, but yet I, every criticism I've had of it and like a lot of people I know have just thought it was a complete disaster and I find myself agreeing with like virtually every point which is a, even though I, I, I still left with a feeling that this was a very exciting way of looking at a woman by in some ways not looking at her at all like I just felt this isn't a Marilyn Monroe story this is a story about how impossible it was to be Marilyn Monroe and it's so kind of connected by those like I suppose quite shallow but iconic images of her where it just I don't know it's sort of it somehow all landed together to me collectively because I just felt that he had no attempt to kind of make a human story yeah again I think it almost works but I think that 
the, the things about the film that are exciting are incredibly cosmetic. I think the images mm-hmm. are very beautiful. The costumes mm-hmm. are very beautiful. The lighting is very beautiful. And I, I just, I, I find it very hollow that you're making a film critiquing an industry that does this to a woman and then you're doing it yet again. So for me, that's the, the fatal flaw in that argument. Um, and, it, you know, I was someone who came to this film very excited, wanting to like it. Well, um, take that, Mr. Dominic. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, and I think there's all very, very valid concerns. But, uh, Hafa, you were actually weirdly a bit of a, a defender of a film that I think a lot of people took a lot of problems with. You liked Bardo, right? I am um, ashamed. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, I like Bardo, but I think I like Bardo because I have a personal connection to the story that he's trying to tell. Um, I, too, have left my home country and started to assimilate the cultural patterns of the colonizer, and this brings a sort of guilt that is very hard to deal with because it is a survival instrument. It is a technique that is almost impossible to avoid, but at the same time, it feels like such a deep negation of your origins. Um, So to me, coming into this film and seeing it translated through his surrealist approach to to this feeling of displacement just touched uh, a very soft spot in my in my idea of immigration and and diaspora so i think this is why it works for me i'm not the biggest fan in the world of inyayatu i love his early work and i hate birdman so much i wrote ten thousand words on how much i hated it <laughs> it is a film that i truly don't like um and i went into bardo differently from sophie with blonde i went into bardo not prepared to hate but with no expectation whatsoever of feeling anything towards it and i came out of it wanting to call my dad and to talk to him about a missing home and to just speak in Portuguese. Um, so it was greatly effective to me in a sense that I could find the personal common ground between my story and his story, even though I have no Oscars whatsoever. Um, Not yet, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> maybe one day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say, I'm going to have to take your word for it because Sophie actually talked me out of attending that screening and we had a lion in <laughs> Such is her hatred for Inuritu that it, was, it became contagious. I mean, is it my hatred for Inuritu or is it my love of sleep? <laughs> Very true. But another thing that you loved, um, all the beauty, all the bloodshed. After you kind of having to talk to you about kind of a film that you found so reprehensible as Blonde, I'm really excited to hear you be more positive. Yes, I like to be well-rounded. I don't want to just emerge as some, like like screaming hate-filled individuals. So now I present the love uh, that I have for All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which I think is my favourite film in the festival. Um, and first of all, let's just take a moment. This is the best title of the festival, right? Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, by far. And actually, when you find out the origin of the title, I think it's one of the most stunning moments of the film. Yeah, that, that's when the tears began to fall for me. Um, because it, it, it's such an uh, intelligent film, and it's so full of information, and it was only at the point where you find out where the, that title is, is from that the full emotional weight that actually has been slowly building underneath all the information and the perfect construction and storytelling, that's when you realise that actually the whole time this has been a film about grief. Um, but to, to roll back a bit uh, and to just describe a little bit about what it's about, it's the latest film from Laura Poitras, the documentarian who brought us Citizen Four about Edward, Edward Snowden. 
And I think she's very well respected and a robust director, but for me this is her levelling up and she's levelling up in order to meet her subject, the incredible photographer Nan Golden, mm. who came to the art world's attention with her like very raw domestic portraits, uh, The Ballad of Sexual Dependency, uh, a book of photographs that showed like herself and her queer family in you know states of undress like in the bath out and about like fucking smoking eating just doing the basic stuff of life with a great deal of uh life force the stuff of life with a great deal of life force i'm tired <laughs> mm. um but anyway that is not all there is to nan golden as the film shows us she nearly died of a overdose from oxy in, which she got addicted to when she got prescribed it, like many people in America, and started a group called Pain, basically an advocacy group who staged protests within art galleries that bore the name of Sackler and accepted Sackler money because the Sackler family, under the, uh, the shell company Purdue Pharma, they are responsible for introducing Aussie content to America. So, as well as being an artist, she is an incredible activist, and the film just brings together the story of her life, the story of this advocacy, and where it's all going just like incredibly well. Um, and yeah, so you, you end up getting this like very like dazzling, vivid depiction of all the lives that Nan Golden has lived, and the scenes that she's documented, and the people she's known. Um, but then alongside that, you also get the story of the, the opioid crisis in America, and you also get her backstory, her biography, and the importance to her life of her sister Barbara, um, who we find out very early on died by suicide. And all of these things just are knitted together incredibly well, but like with spectacular emotional results as well. Yeah, um, it's not been a festival that's been short on incredibly bleak subjects, matter, <laughs> but yeah, I would say all the beauty in the bloodshed does manage to kind of tease out that little bit of beauty because like her images and her photographs are just so striking and the bonds that she forms are just so moving it, it, that one I, I think I was a little cooler than you but it, a lot of it really stayed with me also one line she says she very early on she says she learned humor as a survival mechanism and that that leavens the, the film she's got this incredible way of putting things and she's got an incredible way of fighting that is sort of witty and wise and it's not just a litany of suffering. It's somehow, like her character adds something that makes it all bearable, uh, more bearable than it may sound on paper. I think it's also really interesting the way that imagery is used as the main storytelling tool, but the words that are intertwined with that are so specifically chosen and, and edited in such specific moments to the maximum of emotional reach without feeling saccharine without having to resort to photos of people dying mm. of the overexposure that we often see when we see any documentaries about the opioid crisis the scene that comes to mind is just this mother saying in handling my son his pills which were prescribed by his doctor i became an accomplice in his death and i'm getting the chills just talking about it because yeah. it's just this powerful image imagery that the documentary puts in our heads without us ever needing to see a a dying person. This is exactly it. That it's a fiercely eloquent film, mm -hmm. as well as being a very visual film, mm -hmm. and it also has great historic links. A lot of parallels are made between the opioid crisis and the AIDS crisis, and then mm -hmm. the linking of those two together. It presents a wider portrait of an America where certain people are deemed disposable, certain people's lives are not. I seem to be just sort of that's fine and 
um, there is a you know there's a real there's a real antagonist in this in terms of the shadowy Zakla family and the, the film builds to a kind of reckoning. Yeah. Well, I kind of you know we're, we're all kind of like not far off tears at this point, and I wish that we were moving on to something furious. But Hafa, <laughs> you saw the innocence. Oh. Can you tell us what that's about? When will I bring you over? I I just don't know why we keep doing this to ourselves. Um, at least in Canada, we have like Top Gun. Um, but here has been relentless. Uh, this documentary is by Guy Davidi, and he is an Israeli filmmaker who evaded the Israeli army himself. So the connection to this story is very personal. Um, he's following the parallel stories of young people who enlisted in the army in Israel and who had their lives ruined by the social structure that is so willing to sacrifice their lives in the name of a conflict that benefits none of them. And not to get too much into politics, the film paints this picture of a generation, or more than one generation by now, that is being lost to this disregard to to young lives, to to the power of choice. It's a very striking documentary that is told mostly through If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The juxtaposition of archival footage of these children growing up in front of cameras and the reading of letters by detached voices of narrators 
that tell the stories of them growing up and kind of trying to come to terms with the idea that there is no freedom in their reality, that they are walking every minute towards their 18th birthday and the need of enlisting and what this means. Um, it's very beautifully done. It's very hard to tackle this subject without either pandering to a fully expository documentary in the lines of something that would end up on Netflix and you would show it to someone who doesn't fully grasp what is happening in Israel right now in the Palestinian conflict. But at the same time, it does not shy away from its political views and the result is a seeding documentary that has a plot twist that maybe if you dig online you can find it, but I would recommend you not to because the emotional resonance of the last 10 to 15 minutes are something that if you watch it I think it'll be really hard to shake off wait so you're saying it's a great film but we shouldn't watch it yeah no <laughs> I'm saying it's a great film that you should watch but you shouldn't go find something online about it. I shouldn't read much about it okay because there is a little twist a massive twist that changes your approach to what the film is talking about uh-huh. Okay. Well, um, Sophie, I know that you're a huge Hog fan. Um, I feel like I should be able to come up with a decent pun now, but um, I'm very tired. Um, <laughs> so her latest was The Eternal Daughter, which you saw a couple of days ago, right? Yes, I did. Um, and how thrilling that Joanna Hogg, who's known for her stilted, realistic portraits of upper-class people and their heart-rending problems, has made a stilted, realistic portrait of upper-class people and their problems. That is also a ghost story! Yay! Absolutely thrilled by that twist. Um, And it's Tilda Swinton acting, opposite Tilda Swinton. And that, my friends, is not a gimmick. Unlike in Alex Garland's Men... Where that little guy, what's him, Rory Kinner? Yeah. yeah. World's most English man to me, Rory <laughs> Kinner. Rory if I think of if I think of what an English man is, it's just Rory Kinner. Right. So in that film it's very jarring that every single man and boy had Rory Kinner's face because the film was dashed off. In this, there's a very strong reason why Tilda Swinton plays both the mother and the daughter. One theme of this festival has very much been mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, uh, basically the family unit right there. Um, but it, St. Omer, which we're going to get onto, and the eternal daughter, they, they share an ideology in the sense of they shrink the boundary between mother and daughter to the point of non-existence. They say we are one and the same, we contain each other. And this is the point of casting Tilda Swinton in both roles. Both characters have the same face. They are linked to a shocking extent and that is somewhat the point of the story um there's middle-aged Tilda Swinton and there's elderly Tilda Swinton and middle-aged Tilda Swinton has taken elderly Tilda Swinton to this creepy Welsh very gothic hotel where they seem to be the only occupants and the wind whistles and the branches rattle and they're weird stone lions and it's all very very atmospheric um, but you wonder why? Why is she taking her here? And it, it's to get close to her, is to try and uh, try and get her to to be able to recall some memories. And she questions why she's doing that. If it if it if it serves any point, you know, she's very 
she's very protective of her mother. She there's a line where she says she she just wants her mom to be happy all the time and never sad. And she's like it's almost suffocating the extent of her feeling for her mother. Um, so it's a film that you know it, it's very much about that that relationship, that central relationship. And as our colleague Hannah pointed out, this is the souvenir expanded universe because their names are the same names as the characters in the souvenir. Uh, it, although this time at a later older stage in the, in their lives, and the central question remains to do with like the making of art. Like, what does it do to your relationship with someone close to you if you are also trying to make art about them, and is it valid? And you know, it's very it's a very searching film, but it's also got it's very funny in places. Pretty much one of the only other characters is. Uh, receptionist played by a young feisty Welsh woman who really isn't that bothered about customer service and there are lots of very mm. passive aggressive face-offs and lots of scenes where the two Tildes will be having these really earnest conversations and uh, the waitress who is also uh, the receptionist who's also the waitress uh, will like just kind of like rock up at the most like tender emotional moment and be like bad cod mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of humor to it as well and it's for me, it's just quite a, like a mysterious object. And um, I really don't know how long I've been talking about it for. I think I shall stop now. No, never, <laughs> never enough. Always here to hear your takes, even though we've virtually agreed on nothing, it turns out, <laughs> throughout this festival. Uh, one, I suppose, thing where I know that I'm not quite aligned with you guys it was I felt very, very mid about Dreaming World. But Hafa, you think you were with Sophie, you thought this was like really beautiful. I think is one of those films that does something that we often don't give credit to, which is they will tell you exactly what they're going to do it, what they're going to do, and then they'll do it. It is exactly what it promises to do. It is based on this true story of a duo of brothers in recluse um, country US that puts together an album with the support of their family when they're very young, they're 15 and 17. They try to launch their musical career and because life is nothing but woe, nothing goes according to plan, their dad gets into terrible death trying to help his two sons and then time goes by, 35 years go by and one day they get a call and it is this recording label that specializes in rescuing old albums and re-releasing them to and it's almost a quote to their the best of their extent the best of their qualities they they remaster these albums and they give it a second chance and it's almost a star is bornish in its exploration of a dreamer who's so earnest in their quest for something that is not only about fame, but is about doing what they love, is about providing for their family, realizing what they believe is their potential. And it pains me to say this, and we won't get into it too much, but Casey Affleck is fantastic. Mm. Um, What can I say? It is... No one does crushed like Casey uh, Affleck does. Yeah. It is this quiet, harrowing um, grief for things that you can't really encapsulate mm-hmm. that that his face just it doesn't need to contort he doesn't need to to just go into the parody of pain you just see in his large shoulders and the way that that he sits and moved um it's just beautiful and the camera just lingers on it and the words of his father are just floating in the air and yet we see them 
arrive in, in the face of this son that in age is 50 but in his mind is often transported back to 15 and the only time in his life when he was allowed to have any sort of hope before being crushed by guilt and it's just beautiful yeah i do find it amazing that this is like definitely like the feel-good film of the festival for most beefing <laughs> and we still use the words harrowing grief <laughs> yeah. this is it i think that's why i one thing i really liked about it is it's, in as much as it's about dream and world as it's the title it is about actual love mm-hmm. but familial love that's mm-hmm. what broke me apart Hafer and I are both susceptible to films with great dads. This film has a dad to rival Michael Stuhlbarg and Call Me By Your yeah. Name. Mm-hmm. The Everlasting Arm, uh, Bow Bridges. Uh, it never, like, th- there's a sort of climactic conversation between Casey Affleck and Bow Bridges. And first of all, Casey gets to speak, and I was just waiting for Bow to speak, and I knew it was going to be amazing, and then it was even better than that. I, I think, and it, if we want to talk as well about you mentioned how for in relation to blonde sort of cultural storytelling one story we don't often get in the culture is what happens to you when your dreams come true a moment when you long since given up on them when you'd actually been taught to fear them yeah because he's not this sort of like bright-eyed 15 year old that he once was he's made many full starts and his full starts has cost his family dear and so i think what's very moving about casey affleck's performance is you can see him going like do i dare to believe it's real at this time but also, you, you come to a point in your life, if you dreamed about it enough, it becomes an emotional crutch, the thing that you're always chasing, that is always there as a possibility. Once you have to confront it and it actually happens, then what do you come back to? What do you keep on living for? What is your... Even to have something to say, if I had this, I would be better. Or if I had this, I would be happier. Once you have it, are you happier? Are you better? Um... Yeah, I I just thought it was much more moving and modest yet so generous and and so beautifully written in a way that like they don't need to do a speech that is filled with flair and exposition and metaphors. It's the quiet words of relating to pride and love and kindness that when delivered well, and they are delivered very well here, are so effective. Mm. So what I just beautiful. I know, I know. What can I say? And the music is so good. This is the music so, is great. Oh, the music can is I great. Can just say one thing about Bill Pollard, who made this film? I knew that this this one was going to be good because he made Love and Mercy, which is about the beach boy Brian Wilson. He uses a similar structure, checking in with, with Wilson uh, two points in his career, decades apart. Um and it has that same like exquisite emotional sensitivity sensitivity where the stakes are not stardom or success it's this person's mental mm-hmm. health their well-being and that's the stakes here again and so yes the emerson brothers getting another lease of life is important but what's more crucial is that this family unit helps each other down the road and yeah. I-, I think that's beautiful man unfaltering so lovely well i gotta say as much i i i thought this film was like perfectly decent i'm not gonna some big dream and wild naysayer but the highlight for me was very much that casey affleck made uh half a pay for his vape uh <laughs> just before the screening it was his girlfriend's vape please don't sue me click casey affleck if you're if you're listening to this by any chance he should be able to afford a vape for his girlfriend 
it's fine. It gave me a fantastic story for my festival, and for that, I am ever grateful. Was it was it flavored fluid? I don't know. It was nine euros. It was like a chart. What do you put in your vape? I don't know. Vape. I'm like cool. A... Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I like my lungs. Um, yeah, it was just surreal. Oh well. Uh, yeah, but another. Well, speaking of surreal stuff, this was this is probably up there my top three of the festival. Uh, Sophie, did you? enjoy the rather surreal and I thought extremely funny Banshees of Inisherin. So this is an interesting pairing going from Dreaming World to Banshees of Inisherin because Dreaming World makes you believe in love and hope and familial bonds. Banshees of Inisherin makes you think that reconciliation between mankind is futile and we are we are we are we are, you know, doomed to be uh, trapped in our own individual fears. It ends in a very bleak place, I must say. It left me feeling very sad. Uh, but the the route by which it gets there is, is yeah, is, I guess, uh, utilising a type of comedy that, I don't think I've told you this, Leila, didn't actually work for me that well. Mm. Yeah. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> we, can, we can fight. We fought before. Or we'll we fight can just, again. Or we can just stop talking and kind of you retreat with your dog and I'll retreat with my beloved miniature donkey as as the characters in this film do. Um, I, I don't know. I, I came in having hated three billboards. I like McDonough's plays. I thought, you know, I thought Embrage was great. So I was kind of like tentatively excited for this. But I just I laughed and laughed and laughed and I I think that there is something perhaps in accepting I mean it's very much an allegory for the Irish Civil War but like that finding humor in the bleakness always kind of is strangely like heartwarming to for me like as much as this is a film about unhappy people in a desolate and lonely place like those kind of little nuggets of warmth particularly being like Colin Farrell's character and his sister or like the little moments of reconciliation or just a guy sitting in front of the fire with his little donkey having a bit of a snuggle I thought you were going <laughs> to re- reference another scene where a guy was sitting in front of a fire and it wasn't his little donkey that was out oh yes yes no um Again, please don't sue us, Venice Film Festival. But there, but yes, there have been some some incidents of sexual impropriety reported. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I I did really, really love Banshees, and perhaps that's sort of something I need to unpack with my therapist, why I can't respond as well to kind of family coming together as I do to just bleak as fuck relationships coming apart in Ireland. But yeah, it's for me definitely a formidable return to form for McDonough. And uh, thank you very much for the drinks that you invited us to. Um, Christ, we've got another really sad one. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, Hafa, do you want to take the lead on St. Omer? I feel that I think we actually did all love, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, I I am gutted that I miss Banshees. There's always one film in a festival that I cannot see and desire. This is it. But it is a consensus for Santomere, which is Alice Diop's first foray into fiction. She's a lauded French filmmaker. And she brings this um, connection to a real-life story to her first fiction film, which is based on the real-life story of Fabian Cabu, I probably am butchering her name. Butchering her name, sorry, but it's this woman, this French Senegalese woman, woman who left her daughter to drown, and the whole circus that preceded that succeeded the case. And Saint Omer 
gets this real life story and uses the same crime to create a fictional character and juxtaposes this woman and the court trial to the to a teacher named Rama who's writing a book on the myth of Medea who also murdered a child and symbolizes feminist feminine revolt and there's this parallels of motherhood and the film is just so harrowing in its exploration of the savage nature of mothering and of becoming a mother this creature feeding from your insides and then once they're out and in the world you're still not freed from the relentless violence and and people thinking that they own your body and they own your mind and you need to conform to the societal structures that place mothers in this in the in a bench in in a courtroom day in and day out um it is uh, the thing that i like the most about the film is that diop introduces characters with a delay so she really bangs on this idea of what we create in our minds and the, the full truths that we start to believe when we're not giving the entire scenario we are, we're not giving all the information when we start to believe these truths that we make up in our minds and she plays with this idea by first introducing a voice and then giving you a couple of facts and and you don't see the person until you have quite quite a feel for what they have done um, and who they are and it really makes you think about your expectations about the the things that you start to believe when you begin to feel a sense of ownership over a story and um, I thought cinematography was beautiful. I thought um, the acting was just fantastic. You have two... They're not first-time actors, but they are very early in their careers, if I'm not mistaken. And their turns are um, quite fantastic. Just conveying through quietness this haunting um, weight on their shoulders of, of all the pain and all the grief that is at play here. Yeah, what did you think, Soph? I was just listening to you put your thoughts because they are, yeah, they're, they're what I th- think. Uh. It's so hard to talk about this film. I'm just like, I'm I'm stumbling on words yeah, because yeah. I'm still thinking of it. I'm still processing it. It is. I mean, it's like a fan of film criticism as, some, as well as someone who does it myself. This is one where I ended and I was just like, I want to read everyone's review of this. I want yeah. to kind of get dug into like all of these things. It's such a difficult one. I've kind of had to build a wall up in my brain about a final speech that happens in this film because I will yeah. actually start sobbing if I kind of oh. go through it again. Uh, Sophie, you <laughs> so Sophie, take the, <laughs> take the lead on the sadness. <laughs> I will, but first of all, I'll just say that we are all very excited for when Layla's review at Sight and Sound goes live, um, mm. because, you know, y- you are a mother, and mm-hmm. I think that perspective in this film, in particular, of all the films about mothers, I think this is the most perturbing. Yeah. Um, it's just the most original and daring. It asks the sort of questions that I don't think many people would ever in a million years be able to ask and it you know I think what's really interesting about this film and also why it's quite difficult to write and speak about is 
honours the like the central tragedy, the lost baby, Elise, in the manner in which she dies. I think I think you get that respect. But I also think that it isn't that because that's so self evident, that tragedy, I don't think that's what she's most interested in. Um and she yeah, so she just kind of she really somehow manages to um like bring out all these novel frames to do with as Hafa was saying, like what kind of assumptions we bring to a mm-hmm. story like this, what kind of assumptions we bring to that Fabian is rechristened Laurence in this, like what kind of assumptions we we ha- we have in play about Laurence and a lot of the film is actually fo- just focused on her like starkly giving her testimony and she, there's no special pleading made this isn't this kind of like rousing Hollywood film that's here to be like guys she's not a monster she's a hero mm-hmm. she didn't really do it and she was set up it's no mm-hmm. she she did that she killed her 15 year old baby 15 month old 15 month, did I say 15 yeah yeah 15 month old baby <laughs> even my brain doesn't want to even accept it yeah. but but there's also so that that's not the extent of who she is. Mm. I think when someone does something so barbaric as this, that's almost the only fact we want to accept about them. And this ends up being like quite a well-rounded and intriguing portrait, and still one that doesn't attempt to be definitive about her. Um, and it becomes more interested in in motherhood and what a strange thing that truly is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's also I think you know as a black woman, I thought the way that it sort of doesn't overdo the kind of racial elements to mm-hmm. it I thought showed I mean it's such a restrained film in so many ways so then that it leaves you with this message about like we are not so far from this woman there is you know so many elements that we simply by you know I mean the, the film does puts it out to kind of all women that we all have a monstrosity to us that is like very very difficult to acknowledge and I'm getting yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 this is probably going to be one of my films of the year. It's been an incredible festival, but between this banshees and bones and all, I've had my kind of bleak, dark heart very well nourished by cinema. What about you? Aside from all the beauty of the bloodshed, what would you say your highlight was? <laughs> We've been here. For, what's that line in? It's been, been 84 years. I've grown a I'm not who I oh used to be. Dreaming Wild's up there for me. Also, yeah. another film we ferociously disagree on, Uncoupal, that played right at the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. That's my only walkout of the festival, actually. Yeah. I think this is disrespectful to our Lord and Savior Frederick Wiseman. Um, but yes exactly yeah. we outnumber you Layla so be careful what you say about Wiseman I was rooting for him I will say <laughs> and he you must be so delighted they carried it off very strange I, otherwise oh well, my goodness like I, it, to me that was just like a Simpsons parody of an art house film <laughs> like it uh, but I guess it's like any of those things where somebody takes like a very bold swing it either works for you entirely or it just kind of leaves you completely confounded it has to be your thing you have to be into what he's proposing because otherwise it's very hard for you to surrender to this political observation of marriage that finds the universal through the incredibly specific personal stories like the two stories so you have to surrender otherwise you just won't a lot, I think I've become sort of the unofficial legal team for Nkupu because people do keep coming up to me, <laughs> baffled, scratching their heads, uh, saying, yeah, you really liked that film, didn't you? Um, 
and I did, and I'm right. And you can read my compelling review over at IndieWire. Or you can heed my warning and even with the 64-minute runtime, avoid it at all costs. It's only 63, Leila. <laughs> yeah, and yet I didn't make it to the end and I was not the only one. I've not seen walkouts like it. But, you know, mass consensus is definitely not what we're after at Little White Lies. Taste is not a democratic um, thing. Rail against populism. Very (laughs) few people have this elevated taste. Mm. Harper and I carry this burden. Yes. (laughs) The bardo burden that I also carry. Uh, Harper, any other highlights for you? Do you have a particular fave of the whole thing? I am an unapologetic Schrader head. I loved Master Gardener. Um, I didn't love it quite as much as The Car Counter, but it still is high up there for me. And Athena. I loved Athena. Those were the best 10 minutes I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, it is electrifying, blood pumping, screaming in the cinema, going like Kino, Full Harry Styles movies, big theater production, going to the cinema movies. Wait, I will say you've reminded me of one film that I want to shout out to. I forgot it because it was on day one. Uh, Blue Jean by Georgia Oakley, mm-hmm. which yeah. people will get a chance to see at the London Film Festival. It's a debut feature and it's, I think, very, very special. Yeah, I've not yeah. heard a bad word said about Blue Jean, if I'm honest. I mean, I, I, I didn't get to catch at this festival, but LFF, here I come with Blue Jean. Anyway, thank you both so much for your insight and for actually managing to talk, even though we're running on about 14 hours sleep for an entire week. Um, if you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at 2colondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, it's back to regular programming where we break down two new releases and a classic for film club. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Hafez Alice Ross and Sophie Monks Kaufman. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Yay. Yay! I'm officially done. <laughs> Woo! Oh, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 